can't take it anywhere. Surprise for the people. Well, I guess it's not a surprise because you probably promoted it already. And so if someone's here, they are here specifically because they want to avoid Pablo, right? <laughs> I was going to surprise the people and say, no, Pablo. And then we celebrate. But if they're here already, they. Yeah, they know. It. They know what's going yeah. on. This is debatable. I'm Dominique Foxworth. We got David Dennis and L. Duncan here for the truest Black History Month episode. <laughs> and as you see the rundown, there's going to be a race to the first joke of the show. I'm not going to make it. I refuse to yeah. make the first joke of the show. So, Charlie, give it to us. Debatable brought to you by Carter G. Wood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so did Mac McClung give you hope that the dunk contest is not totally dead? So, mm-hmm. Mac McClung, uh, I know of him before his dunking prowess, but I'm in D.C. and he's from Virginia. He went to Georgetown. People loved him because he was an incredible dunker. And that's the only reason why people loved him. That's it. That's all we're going to discuss is his dunking ability. Do we have highlights or do we have a picture of Mac McClung? Here he is. Yeah. Look mm-hmm. at Mac. He signed a contract, right, with mm-hmm. the 76ers. Really just so he could come in and do dunks like this, which is incredibly impressive. Like, yeah. is this the 540? No, that's not it. That's no. a, the, the, what, triple clutch? It's, it's this one. This is the 540 when he wore the jersey. Uh, his high school jersey. Ooh, oh, yeah. Mm. Uh-huh. There's a classic movie from my youth that I now know is a damn lie. <laughs> it's a, he, he, he does give me hope. A great hope. A great <laughs> Something hope. I I don't know what it is. But anyway, white man can't jump. I guess the question that uh, specifically is to give you hope for the dunk contest. The thing about the dunk contest for me is it was really cool when I was growing up. I remember like we didn't have cable and we went to my friend's house to watch it on TNT. And it was awesome watching these great athletes do things that we didn't think was possible or never been done before. And I could argue, obviously, lots of people have that all the Great dunks have already been done, so there's no more to it. But I don't know if that's it as much as it's, and maybe this is old man of me to blame social media for everything, but it feels like there's awesomer on my phone year round all throughout the year. So, I I mean, enjoying Mac McClung doing that does not feel like the dunk contest is safe, as awesome as his dunks were. Yeah, it feels like... uh... It, I think the dunk contest can be interesting if they have stories, if the dunkers have stories. And there is a pretty obvious McClung story here in that he's a short white dude. Like, that was what made what? it really interesting. If this was white. Uh, yeah, he's white. He's white. He oh is white. We did, a, uh, we did a uh, we did an I didn't notice. I'm colorblind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I just think after we had two black quarterbacks yeah. in the Super Bowl, white uh, dunk contest winner. This is the post-racial America we always dreamed of. So I think mm-hmm. we should really celebrate this. We've cured, you know, all the ills of society. I'm so happy for that. But I just think that the story here is interesting because he's a short. If there's like a short black dude, it'd be like, oh, short black dude wins dunk contest. We're moving <laughs> on. Like you need some sort of story to hang on to, and we happen to have a truly unique story next year. What's going to be the story that we're talking about? I don't think we're going to have one. Like, they might pull some people from social media, pull some G-leakers. But, like, what's going to be the interesting story that they're going to have to keep this going besides this one-time white dude story? Well, first of all, let me just say that it's just such an honor to be here with you, my brothers. I love you guys. You know that. But I'm so mad at you, David, that you're going to make me on this Black History Month come to the defense of a short white man. Because the great white hope... (laughs) 
which we all know there are many, right? They made a whole mm -hmm. movie about it, a classic with Damon mm -hmm. Wayans and that one dude that's a director now, Peter Berg, great movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it, it symbolizes someone who is good at something, but has the same sort of skill set as other people that are black and we just describe it as being talented and black, right? Mm -hmm. He's really good. <laughs> like he's, I guess, like it's not. He's not like just good for a white boy. It's not like yeah. he's doing sort of dunks that we've already seen. But because he's a short white guy, we're like more impressed. That's fair. Mm -hmm. His like his dunks are really good. I think that what Mac McClung signifies is for the same thing that he was really famous for. Like I remember years ago on SportsCenter talking about him, and I remember out of my mouth on like a Saturday morning, it was like, you know, watch out Zion, this kid in Virginia is like coming for your dunk crown or whatever, because it was all about these viral moments that were happening with these kids and how impressive that was. He very much symbolizes the fact that We've already seen so much. We see so many cool things to Dominique's point yeah. all the time on our phone, 24 seven, people doing backflips, the dudes from Dude Perfect making things look easy when they've spent nine hours doing it. Like we see sensory overload of cool and he has proven that in order for the dunk contest to be interesting again, we need to see some like acrobatic I mean, I love the, the chutzpah of that kid that he said, I did not hit that 540 one time when I was practicing it, but I was just like, I was just feeling it. So I thought I was going to be able to hit it anyway. I just think that like we have an hey. expectation now. Yeah, it's Omar. What's up, Omar? Yeah. Hey. Um, I, I had a, a question, but I'll, I'll let um, Alabaster ask his first. Go ahead, buddy. So my question off this is I, I'm, I'm with you, Al. Like he's a, he's a great dunker, maybe not in the tier of, of, Vince Carter and Zach Levine, but a tier below, someone who's like a, a worthy dunk contest champion. But my question is, do you think this motivates the guys like Anthony Edwards and John Morant and Zion Williams to do it? Williams no, to do it? Because that's no, what we need. No. I mean, I think we could always just go back to another tried and true formulas, blame LeBron. Like, I think the dunk contest lost his luster. There was a time when the guy, like the dominant wing in the NBA, like competed in the dunk contest. I feel like that was a thing that felt prestigious. And I remember when LeBron refused to participate in it. And I was surprised because I'd assumed that like LeBron was going to, and not today's LeBron, like young LeBron. I assumed that he was going after everything that Jordan had, that he did even participate in it. Not once in his prime when he most definitely would have won it. And I, I don't know if it died before then and he just was like, yeah, it's already dead, y'all, or if him doing it actually killed it. But it's not a crown that I think people want. You can look at the competition that he had or you can look at the competition from last year. I don't know who was in it. I don't know who won it. I feel like it's been a long time since but I was again, like, man, I Fox can't wait for that dunk contest matchup. But that, again, why Why would any of these dudes, like, we love John ja Morant's brilliant dunks in real game times right. because they're happening in a real game. They're usually in someone's face. Mm -hmm. He's jumping over somebody. He's yamming on somebody. Like, that, his dunk by himself, not in a game situation, is not impressive enough anymore for people. And that's why they're not incentivized to do this because they've got to do acrobatics and tricks. It's becoming the globetrotters. Like, that's what you have to do. Your dunks have to be very trickish in order to impress people at this point. So why would they come in and do dunks that we've seen in real time that impress us, but maybe not in that circumstance, in that situation? Yeah, there's no way a star, this is the end of the stars doing the dunk contest because not all, like, I think the thing with LeBron was that nothing LeBron was going to do was going to like live up to the hype of social mm -hmm. media. They were going to hate on whatever dunk he did because the hype was just so, so high. Vince Carter exceeded the hype because like he was doing we had never seen before. I don't know if LeBron could really do that, but like 
now, like Zion, Zion, John Morant, it was bad enough, like when social media piles on the dunk contest, but now the possibility of losing to this, like a tiny white dude nobody's heard of, like there's no way Zion's going to go up there and, and have the potential to lose to this to people like him, to lose the G Leaguers, to lose to people on social media. Like that's it. Just this is it no might. longer. I mean, an yeah, NBA competition that might have um, motivated someone to get in it if it felt like it was something prestigious. But you can no disrespect to the names that we're looking at on the list, but none of those are names that are going to go down in history. It's not a prestigious event anymore. It's become gimmicky. And like part of it, I, I mean, we wanted more gimmicks because we felt like we ran out of dunks. Then we got more gimmicks. And now we're like, this is like a, a sideshow. I think when Blake Griffin jumped over the Kia, we was like, all right. We're done now. Right. We're, yeah. we're done like we're now. Jumping this over is, cars. Yeah, this like, is what a, we, you know what I mean? It was like it wasn't even the jumping over the car as much as much as it was like we knew that he was gonna at least my I was at that dunk contest. And my feeling was, oh, they did this whole branded segment. Oh, Blake mm -hmm. has no choice. I mean, he's definitely he to going to win. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is this doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't feel like uh a competition as much as it feels like a sideshow, which is fine. I'm down for sideshows because I'm not sure what's headed in the right direction. But Mac McClung is not is not Put bringing them out, bringing them out. Pay some seven footers to stand in the paint and get dunked. <laughs> that on. would be Try so. To get the, that'd like, be have a different a dunk contest. Yeah, block. That, competition yeah that's the different you either block the dunks and you try to get dunked on and then we see what's going on if that like, wasn't so dangerous that. if it wasn't so dangerous i feel like that would be much more interesting it's like we just get the best rim protectors and we award a block champ and a dunk champ. but no no but not in the nba because again nobody would risk injury to do something like that so just go get some big dudes just get some Euroleague. seven footers like get some go dudes get go like, get some yeah go get yeah. some dudes from macedonia uh. who are just giants and you just put them up there and you see like you know can you oh. top this macedonian man you you know? Oh, go get I, the big show. What's I he saw. doing? Is, is, yeah. Go get the big show. Let the big show Where's stand. Where's the guy that played the mountain at? Like, put him <laughs> out there. Y'all trying to get Ja hurt. Uh, yeah. so, What's up, Alabaster? I think the answer there is Aaron Baines. Legend, legend, legend at getting dunked on. Um, but <laughs> the question is, who do you think wins that hypothetical competition of guys in the NBA? Best dunker on Aaron Baines, standing in the lane at All-Star Weekend 2024. I mean, I feel like Ja Morant gets the... Ja Morant. Yeah, he gets the... Being smaller helps and explosive. And also, um, he's a violent dunker. I guess uh, Zion is always a good... Because he has the mass and the, and the bounce. But uh, he might get hurt in that process. And you know what? It is. It is to our earlier point. It is Black History Month. Get some seven foot white dudes in there and just oh. dunk on them for forty five minutes. Uh, yeah. And like play, <laughs> lift every voice and sing in the background oh, as it happens. And yeah. we just we just do it for forty five minutes. Let's just do yeah. that. Can we just do that and play yeah. like the a different All world the church opening hymnals. song? Everything yeah. that we got going on and just just have it happen. Like let's just do it. For Wait, an hour. what would be, okay? Oh, what would be our top five? Uh, galvanizing um black moment type of songs that we could put together that we would think universally would go so i do um, think the i think the the jefferson song for sure right mm -hmm. moving on up i, I mean, think would, I, i'm a real yeah. i'm a really upset some people i feel like <gasps> bands bands to make them dance is a oh, modern okay. hip-hop yes. classic i mean That's maybe it's it's misogynist it's a lot of things mm -hmm. wrong with it but bands comes on i mean things slaps mm -hmm. lift think, every voice um, I'm literally yeah. in my head right now trying to pick a line that I could throw out that's yeah, clean. None of just, them. I'm not thinking of none one. Of so I just kept going. I was like, 
You say no to Ratchet. Ooh. Juice and JK. He can't do it. Yeah. Juicy can't say no. Oh, I now think, you want to check uh, us, Matt. Can't I think uh, Jerome from Martin singing Don't You Know No Good. I think oh, that should be part of that. Know. Yeah, I think oh. we should have that in there for sure. Um, okay. I think International Players Anthem, only the first verse. Only 100%. Only yeah. three Ks. Not that the Just other verses are bad, but three stacks verse is far and away a mm-hmm. beautiful ode to black love. Okay, at All-Star Weekend, <laughs> load management and superstar trades were the topic of discussion from Charles Barkley, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, even Adam Silver. How do all of those comments sit with you? All right. I mean, there's a lot of comments. I guess uh, you'll put up some of the quotes eventually, but generally it goes along the lines you would expect. It seemed like Adam Silver and Barkley are on the opposing side pointing out that Load management and uh, people forcing trades is not good for the fans, which is not good for the game long term, which I'll let you guys jump all over this. But, you know, me and my union background where I'm going to end up. What it boils down to for me is nothing's free and the NBA wants to have their cake and eat it, too. You can't put restrictions on players and assume that that power is not going to be an outgrowth elsewhere. And they use it. They put restrictions on the salaries that the players can make. And they, if you paid them a lot more, which they did back in the day as a fraction or a percentage of revenue, uh, top players or a percentage of the roster, top players got a lot more in the 90s, which is why they didn't move. It was harder to move those contracts and players were less likely to move. Now they've put caps on them because they want money and they've also like limited how long your contract can be. They've done all these things to players because they didn't like how it was before. And the response to that is players are going to move around. And the same thing is true for uh, the the um, like load management. It's the same thing. Y'all got greedy and kept adding more and more games, diluted the product, and now y'all mad that the players aren't going to play 82 games. And so it just bothers me that I don't disagree with the arguments that it'd be better if players stayed in their city. It'd be better if players played all their games. But you have to understand why they don't. It's because y'all are greedy. I mean, this is this is also happened like – the load management thing and the, the player trade thing is also it's interesting that this is happening. This conversation is happening in Salt Lake City, where uh, Danny Ainge just traded away two core young pieces of a playoff team to rebuild. And as that team was overperforming, he then traded another veteran piece so that team could tank even more. Like I would argue that that's probably worse for a fan base than you know than LeBron coming to town and not playing. That you basically gutted an entire team that was probably not going to win a championship, but they were going to be in the playoffs every year, probably for the next five or six years. And we have, we don't know, we have Russell Westbrook, we have John Wall, we have players who are getting paid not to play, who, you know, they are on teams and they're not being allowed to play because these teams want to tank. So this is happening both ways. And we so often focus on the players and what the players are doing, but these GMs, and owners and all these teams across the league are doing the exact same thing, just framed in a different way. And it's bad all, you know, that's, I think, worse than what the players are doing. Um, I'm always, it's always really difficult for me to talk about, like, you know, the fan experience when it comes to load management and stuff, because I'm a lifelong Hawks fan. So it was almost singularly about going to games to see the other person's team play. 
Um, so, you know, for me, like that's just sort of, you know, navigating how you go and watch games is sort of just like a part of it. Um, I think the, the funny part of all of this though, is when we're sort of talking about everyone speaking up this weekend, Kevin Durant and what he said about whether it's good for the league, because that's what this whole few days has been, right? What's good for the league and what we have gleaned. And I know this is shocking for everyone is that the NBA league office seems to think that player empowerment's not the best thing in the world, right? Like a little bit of player empowerment is good. We want you to be able to like have the empowerment to force us to give to charities as a tax write-off, but like, we don't want you to have enough power to dictate where you can go. And of course that came up, right? Is it good for the league that players now demand to get out if they want to and they can leave if you want to. You see the quote up there. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's bad for the league. This is Kevin Durant. Uh, it just brings more attention to the league, and that's really what rakes the money in when you get more attention. And I've been sitting on that quote for a little bit, just trying to think about if he's right and I, or what he meant, yeah. right? Because I think people do just assume that, like, attention equivocates into ratings, which equivocate more money. And I think that there is a whole entire like baseball team right now called the Savannah Bananas who are selling out every home game. Yep. And there's these great little stories about how, you know, their manager or their owners making all of this money after a gamble to save their league or whatever. And people are enjoying it and that's fun. But attention does not equivocate into any kind of media partnership or availability. And at this point, the NBA is operating in the way that they feel is best, which is to continue to be a billion dollar company that can allow their players to load manage if they want to. And the rights are still going up. People are still watching and people are still coming. So I don't think that, you know, when, when it comes to a Kevin Durant sort of speaking on that, he's necessarily right. Yeah. But what do you think, Fox? Like, I think, is I mean, right? hold on, Alabaster. I'll get to you in a second. I think that, um, I think he's right when the model is made properly, but the model is broken, not because of Kevin Durant switching teams, but I think it's more the problem is that there's 82 games and the games don't matter. Can you imagine how intense the attention would be if we only got a couple chances or a few chances to see Kevin Durant on his new team? And there was only a few more games left before you knew who was going to make the playoffs. Like, that's what it comes down to, to me, because I think the attention is like the playoffs ratings, I assume, are pretty high. I know that the numbers suggest that all the social media attention and all the trade conversations and all that attention does not add up to people watching the games. And that's because I think the games don't matter. If the games mattered, the attention would translate. But I, I could be wrong, but it seems to be. I guess you look at football and notice that the, there's not like a big social media following for each of the players, but the game is watched a lot. And I think it only comes down to the stakes of the game. They matter week in and week out. What's up, Alabaster? So you think the NBA is more culturally relevant than they are like relevant in terms of people watching on yeah. television? Yeah, and I think I it's just, don't, sure. just because the game. I just don't, don't think Adam, there's no way Adam Silver was bummed that Kyrie Irving and KD trade talks were right in the middle of the Super Bowl hype and everybody was talking about that. And like it took a little bit of the sting from – the, yeah. from the Super Bowl leading up to it. There's no way he could be upset about it. As much as he talks about how much he hated it and all that stuff, he was overjoyed that we were leading all the shows with KD and Kyrie a week before the Super Bowl. He spent a full day on it, on Get Up one time, just a full day on <laughs> on all that stuff on the Super Bowl week. But anyway, go ahead, Alvester. So there's there's a lot to get through, and I think yeah. we should start with the, the trade stuff because there are a few things that were said by – KD and Kyrie in particular, which is about they should get to decide where they go. 
first of all, they did decide where they wanted to go. That's where they signed in free agency. So this is a reversal, of course. And second of all, to your point, uh, Dominique, you're right. We're in an NBA bubble right now. The rights deals keep going up. The TV ratings don't support that. These guys are going to start making $60, $70 million in the next CBA. But there will be a bubble on that unless the TV rights continue to match the contracts. But what I think is interesting is these games don't matter because there are no rivalries, because these guys are switching teams 24-7. I will watch Kevin Durant play LeBron James, but they both sit those games out now all the time. They have for the last four years. And I would care about a regular season game between the Cavs and Warriors, but those teams have been immolated by their superstars. All right. So, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you, but I still think that the the um, rivalries come from like high stakes competition. You don't have preseason rivalries. You got regular season and postseason rivalries when things matter. So I think we all, the players, the owners, the general managers, and even the media has a part to play in this. We've made it such that the NBA, it only matters if you win rings. And the only the best way, we assume the best way to win rings is to be healthy in the postseason, not to dominate in the regular season. And so, like, it, it's the environment that they live in. Unless you make these games just playing these games because the fans want them to, does not serve them. That, like, it's, it, it doesn't help them in any way. No one at that level, like young guys who haven't won an MVP yet, yeah, okay, Embiid. Playing a full season would help him. Jokic, piling up MVPs would help him. Jason Tatum, piling up MVPs would help him. But the big-time stars whose names we all know, that like LeBron's legacy is not going to change on him getting another MVP. The same for KD. KD, all that's going to matter is if they make the playoffs and if they then if they win championships. And if they're 82 games, like I feel like a broken record, but I think it all the, the biggest problem in all of this, the movement in all this is just that they got too many damn games and the owners are too greedy to give them up. There, there's, Don't the, you think? Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead David. Okay. No, go ahead, David. The, the, the toothpaste out the tube on the games. They go down to 72 games. Players are going to play 62 games. Like there's just no nothing around this. Like, like it's about maximizing, like I said, maximizing the postseason. So like players are not going to just all of a sudden start playing 72 games a season if they cut it down. Like, that's just what it is. Like, the, there's no way to go back from players being there like, I need to maximize my playoff performance. I'm, so, I'm sorry to cut you off. I think it's like reduce the number of games, reduce the number of teams that get into playoffs. Half the league goes to the playoffs. It's stupid. And well, you know they why they do this? Definitely should so that the playoffs, they can make yeah. more money. So you don't get to be greedy and then complain about what happens when you're greedy. Sorry. Well, they definitely, I mean, I think um, I think one of the turning points is the, the seven-game first round. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, the first round is a foregone conclusion most of the time, and it lasts three weeks to play a first-round series. I think the first round of the NBA playoffs needs a skunk rule. If you're up 3-0, move on. Hmm. Sorry, Bill. So No, I, I just – go ahead, go ahead. So I got, I got a question because we might be careening towards a potential lockout, like Charles Barkley said. And, Dominique, I want you to put on your union leader hat. I'm oh, going to throw you some ideas – from that have been pitched that could be coming from NBA ownership. So if I am in a negotiating meeting with you and I say, Hey, these max salaries are about to get up to 60, $70 million, but that's with the stipulations that you make an all NBA team. I say to you, you need to play 80% of the games to make an all NBA team. Is that a legitimate point from ownership to address load, load management? No. I mean, I, I, so I think it's all kind of illegitimate. The idea that your salary is connected to you making an all NBA team 
is ridiculous because that's not uh it's it's um not arbitrary but it's subjective is the word i was looking for it's subjective making all nba teams like all that stuff to me feels uh completely unfair and putting a percentage on the number of games i think you then get a different style of play to be honest it feels like as much as i am not for completely unfettered capitalism this is an environment where it would work remove everything like the incentives to be great the incentives to make money all the incentives are there you're putting on rules to address incentives that you neutered with your last rules so you're just ruling on top of rules when if you just remove all the stuff like you want to go back to how it was in the 90s then go back to those rules when you didn't have a salary cap and when jordan made like 80 percent of the salary cap of everybody on his on his roster like that to me honestly if you're going to be a star driven league the way the nba is then you must properly incentivize the stars and not do it with some weird um workaround rule where you have to calculate how many games you play and then you have to be healthy for a certain amount of games and then a bunch of sports writers have to vote for you to be the best at your position what if there's a glut at your position then it's not in your best interest to be out there trying to compete like it just all seems like they're putting rules on top of rules to fix a problem that they made it well they're, but they're not but they benefit from it as well Hi. Okay. I love you. Bye-bye. They benefit from it as well. Like, listen, it behooves the NBA for LeBron James to have some time off to take care of himself so that we can get 20 years of him, right? Like it benefits the NBA to have these star players preserve themselves for as long as possible. It sells like this is still a business. And so at some point we're just going to have to reconcile the fact. I agree with, with David at this point, like, I think short of you forcing someone to play by putting some sort of percentages in place, Every single time you lower how many games they do, they're just going to sit out fewer than that because we've prioritized not only these guys being in peak physical condition, but for doing it for 15 and 20 years when the average NBA season used to be what, right? Like these dudes usually lasted three, yeah, four, fair. five, six years. Now we're expecting these guys to play for 20 years and at this kind of level. So um, I just don't think that we're going to ever going to be able to get away from that. I also yeah, think and- oversaturation is a thing too, guys. Like it's an oversaturated market. We that's what this is where we are. Like it's just more and more and more and more. And the more you get, the less value anything has, right? Like Mm -hmm. Birkins are what they are because they only make a few of them. It drives the price up, right? Mm -hmm. Not that I'll ever know because I'll never be able to afford that. But however, like that's what makes a Birkin. If you could buy them at TJ Maxx or at Target, they wouldn't have the same kind of value. That's where we're at with the NBA. I can't believe I just. Yeah, that was nice. I like this. That uh, was very ew. Bur- what's God? I've been is living Birkin, in West. Is, yeah, is Birkin a seven foot white center that plays somewhere? <laughs> I don't know. I would dunk on Birkin. I guess. <laughs> yeah, we need we need, we need to play we business. need to play knuck a few buck while John Moran dunks on Birkin for sure. <laughs> All right, no, I, I think I think you with yelling at the owners and your managers. I got to put my ownership hat on one more time. Okay, goodness. Okay, well, because now I'm going to go at what Kyrie said, where it's like kid like. In his industry, he should be able to choose where he goes, even if he's already just signed a max contract. I come to you, I'm negotiating on behalf of NBA owners, and I say, all right, we can keep this super max contract scale where the team that you are playing on can offer you more money to retain you. But once you sign that deal, you have to fulfill at least half of your contract before you ask for a trade. Because... I don't like Kevin Durant signing a four-year extension and then three months later demanding out and causing a seismic shift in who can win because one of the 15 best players of all time changes his mind after four months. 
What would you say if you're representing the players there? David? I would say, can you trade him before you get to that uh, half of that game, half of that contract mark? No, you're stuck with him. You are stuck my, with the guy once you sign that so match. So it's a commitment were, both ways. Yeah. So my my response would be, if you would like to keep someone where they are, then do what you have to do to, to keep them happy. Like, it seems to me that enforcing some sort of ridiculous contract, like, it's it's not – these players aren't just like players who are in perfect situations forcing their way out of town. Like Steph Curry is not like a better person than Kevin Durant or LeBron James or anyone else. They hooked it up around him and have continually <laughs> done that year after year. Like that is part of it. So why are the only people in this situation being expected to be held accountable are the people who have the rarest ability. I could find a thousand that could general manage. Like it's it's not hard. <laughs> Find me a seven footer that can handle the ball. So treat him right. And it's not just doing what he wants. It's like developing a relationship and doing the things that are best for him and getting him to buy in. So just paying somebody a ton of money isn't the solution. And then if they don't like the way that you're treating them, saying, well, we're going to make it so. The rules say you can't go anywhere. No, do what they did with Steph. He's not going anywhere. John Morant, we don't hear him making trade demands. Damian Lillard's not trying to go anywhere. Like, there are players who stay put. And and Kevin Durant, we should mention, from all reports, was damn miserable for half the time at Golden State. <laughs> but they were winning championships, and he, he stayed through his contract. You know, like, he hated a lot of oh, stuff Oklahoma there. City. But yeah. they won. I mean, oh, Golden State. Yeah, yeah, Golden yeah, State. Yeah, Golden right. State. And he won, and he stayed for his contract. He was not miserable in Brooklyn, from all reports. They weren't winning, so he left. Like, that seems to be a key difference in what happened with, with Kevin Durant. LeBron and Pat Riley seem to not really get along. They won championships. He stayed oh, through yes. his contract. You know, like, that just seems to be the difference. I was going to say, I don't think that we're seeing this, like, happen, like, enough for this to be some sort of epidemic, to your point. There's always going to be people like Kyrie Irving who are just unhappy people. Like, Kyrie's personality is such that I don't think that there is anything that could satiate him or make him happy or pacify him, to be honest. But he is not sort of like, I think some prevailing sweeping movement of players deciding that they just want to switch spots whenever they want. We haven't seen some epidemic of it. Hmm. I think we can all agree on Kyrie that we're very happy that the Nets didn't do whatever it needed, what needed to be done to make him happy because that would have been going down some weird rabbit holes as an organization. Um, but I digress. Let's move on to the NFL. Um, what's your takeaway from Eric Bieniemy's decision to become the commander's offensive coordinator? I hate it. So Eric Bieniemy, if you guys don't know, has been the, the um, offensive coordinator for um, the Kansas City Chiefs through both of their championship runs, through all of Patrick Mahomes' success from his first year till now. He hasn't gotten a head coaching opportunity despite the fact that previous uh, coordinators under Andy Reid, all of them get jobs elsewhere. And they coached quarterbacks who were nowhere near as successful as Patrick Mahomes. For some reason, it seems that Eric Bieniemy is getting uh, docked whatever resume points that he deserves because Andy Reid calls the plays. It hasn't um, stopped, as you see, Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy, which I think they were co-offensive coordinators at one point. And they both got jobs. So not only were they not in charge of calling the plays, they couldn't even hold down the title by themselves. And they all got jobs. So uh, he's going to be the OC at Washington. 
so that he can call the plays. And this is going to prove to the haters that he is worth a head coach. It's just ridiculous. I would like to remind everybody that Nathaniel Hackett is in his second, like it is, it was coaching last year. Like <laughs> I've never seen, I can like, do we recall just how unprepared he was? Yes, we do, coach, David. To head coach. A, <laughs> sorry, Al, um, to coach any sort of football situation. And he, and I, you know, they were saying Eric Bieniemy is a, is a casualty of having a generationally great quarterback. And, you know, we don't know what to, like, Tom Brady's offensive coordinators are coaching, have coached. Like Josh McDaniels has given us no indication that he's a good or great coach and he's had jobs. Nathaniel Hackett, like, was seemed to be just Aaron Rodgers' buddy and had a job. Bill O'Brien like, was the, yeah, on the Tom Brady yeah, like teat. Yeah, like there's no what, – what happened to the coaching tree? Like I thought the coaching tree, the great coaches, and you had the coaching tree. Like this is just a singularly um, – black coach not getting a, a shot in the NFL because he's a black dude. Like, let's just, can we just all agree on that? Yeah. Gary Kuby, I got a job off of working with Peyton Manning after he was already a hall of famer. It was like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> he was already Peyton Manning. Uh, but Coops was huge that year. I love you Coops. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like we're all beating our head the last few years asking the same question. We have no answer. There's no, there's been no resolute sort of answer. I'm wondering, does th this has to go back to Colorado, right? Like it has to go back to like sort of the culture or some of the the, yeah. the rumors or some of the things that did happen or didn't happen. And I don't, I can't conceive how someone wouldn't be willing to take a flyer at this point. I mean, we've seen some of the names of dudes that have gotten basically the Eagle. I didn't realize until both of the Eagles coordinators left that they're are almost the same person. I, they, they're, they're just I, like I, completely unidentifiable. They look like tax accountants. I was like, who are these dudes? Like, you know, yeah. like the second that you even just suckle the the, the teat of greatness, you get a job. Oh, so I feel so like close to it. Yeah, like even just like Adam a Gase got some jobs. That's what I'm saying. Because he got a little bit of that Peyton juice. Yeah, oh. exactly. Like a touch of the Peyton juice. It just doesn't. <laughs> you know, it, it makes no sense to me. And again, no one took it away from Nathaniel Hackett that he worked with Aaron Rodgers. There's just got to be. We've thrown out the idea that he's a bad interviewer. I, like, I don't, I don't really? know. I think, uh, I think Mac McClung is on his way to getting a, a head coaching job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mac will get it. I think the, the, the sad thing about this for Eric Bieniemy is possibly he thinks that there's a reason that he can address why he hasn't gotten the job. And yeah. if they wanted to hire you, bro, they would have hired you. Like, this ain't, this ain't going to get you the job. Like they hired, they went and found Cliff Kingsbury after he got fired in college and gave him the job. Yeah. Like they want to hire you. They're going to give you the job. Yeah. You can't like, you can't succeed any more than you've succeeded. Thank you. you. What like, are you going to do there, yeah, Fox? Like, so, so uh, now not... he has to, so now he has to be a wizard and make Sam Howell, Patrick Mahomes, because that's not going to happen. Yeah. So then it's going to, so then what? This is just a lose-lose for him. He's already done everything he could do. It's not going to happen. I'm just wondering if the Chiefs, We've all been sort of intimating that at some point Andy Reid's going to step away. It feels like if the Chiefs felt like, you know, he was the guy that they wanted, that they trusted, that they would, like, work out some side agreement, right? Like, I don't know if those things happen. I sort of assumed yeah. it would happen with Josh McDaniels in New England. It didn't happen. But I don't know. Like, it just feels like it just feels like we're yeah. all like, this is criminal. But I don't, I don't feel this groundswell of support from the people around him 
who who feel as sort of um, you know, disturbed about this as we do. And I just feel like maybe that's telling. I don't know. I don't know how to feel. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably smart not to make it about Eric Bieniemy as an individual because I don't know. Maybe there is something going on with him that we don't know, but the trends are there. I don't sure. need Eric Bieniemy to prove that there is racism in the sure. hiring practices in the NFL. Eric Bieniemy is a big, shiny example of it most recently, but we could look down to Miami and the lawsuit that's pending there and uh, and point out various other examples and statistics that support all of the stuff that we're talking about. Eric Bieniemy is just like the most recent and most blatant version of it. So if something comes out that at every interview, Eric Bieniemy starts the interview by spitting on the face of the person interviewing him, then I'm like, sure, yeah, that man shouldn't be hired. But that doesn't change the fact that y'all still don't hire black people. Like that doesn't, Eric Bieniemy explaining away Eric Bieniemy isn't going to change anything. Sure. So. I yeah, mean, it, it not, reminds me of the Kaepernick thing when Kaepernick wore the the Castro shirt and the pig socks, and then people are like, "Oh, uh, Kaepernick wore these shirts." He so that mean that cops ain't killing black people now? Like it did to me is completely un, like if you can discredit someone, whether you're fairly doing it or not, doesn't change the what the example is that they're drawing attention to. And so yeah, the NFL has a problem. Eric Bieniemy is just the latest latest example of it. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing that can happen from here on out with Eric Bieniemy that that's going to contribute to progress for black folks in the NFL. He's been long overdue for a coaching job. And so if he gets it, it'll be something that he was due yeah. years ago. The the thing is like when we focus on Eric Bieniemy, sometimes we focus on these highly overqualified black people for these things and we like sort of lose sight of the fact that there are a lot of mediocre to bad black offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, who should get coaching jobs because there are a lot of mediocre and bad white offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators who get coaching jobs. Like when we get to the level that black coaches can be hired and retained at the level of white coaches, then then we can start talking like when there are more Right. Yeah. When there are more Marvin Lewis's of the world who have been co who can coach losing record teams for a decade or whatever and you. still keep Marvin their job. A great coach. Whatever. He can be whatever. But he still had bad records for a decade. When we have more black people who get to fail and continue to fail at the level that white people fail, then we can really start talking about equality in this league. But when David, those standards are not the same, we're not going to be there. I've been asking for years, David, who is our black Chan Gailey? Who is the man that can fail at every single level, literally at everything he does and just keep falling forward? Who is our black Chan Gailey? And we don't have one. We don't have one. We don't. Me, you know, I mean, meanwhile, the Broncos Fox just hired a 75-year-old man as an assistant because Sean Payton and him are homies. And I'm like, that's but that's the problem. That's what we're dealing with. That is the problem it's it is it has and always will be a good old boy network where you will continue to hire people who you think will at least make you good or at the very least have always sort of carried the water for you and you're good with surrounding yourself with people who are on your team and on your side and so long as that is sort of the idea so long as these head coaches continue to get full autonomy and more. I mean, you know, some of them acting like GMs, like that's yeah. always going to be the problem. They're just going to hire their homies. They're going to surround themselves with their homies and their homies don't tend to look like one of the, Eric Bannemi. One of the worst things about blatant racism like this is it forces me to like root for and advocate for people I probably wouldn't like in my regular life. Like these black coaches 
are more like coaches than they are like the black people I hang out with. And yeah. I don't give a damn about none of yeah. them. I probably don't like them. I probably wouldn't hang out with them. They probably just as hard on the players and militaristic and annoying as everyone else. But because y'all can't stop being racist, I got to get out here yeah. and try to champion for some coaches just yeah. because y'all don't want to be fair to them because I'm not under some illusion that all of a sudden when we get more black coaches in position of power that life's going to be better for players in the NFL. Nah, y'all going to coach just like the white coaches. Y'all just going to do it and look slightly cooler on the sidelines yeah. in your gear. Yeah. On that note. The, the right to be, the right to be like, we just need the right to be like, can we just be yeah. bad and mediocre? Just like, just like mediocre white people. That's all I'm asking for. <laughs> That's all I'm asking for. This Black History Month is the right to be mediocre. Yes. I just the audacity be of mediocrity. That's what I'm Yeah. Doing. Yeah. Thank you. Big uh, B minus energy, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Give me some confetti. I earned my confetti. You better give me some confetti. There it is. Sprinkle oh. it gently. Don't rush it. Take your time. Ah. Exactly. Rub make it in. Just like, like just, clung, make yeah, rub it in. 720 instead of a 540. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. like, you know, be twice as We requested a rub. Give me a rub. Oh, wow. He cut us oh, off. There you.